I'm somebody who studies history very closely, as you know. It's a fascination for me. And one thing I can tell you for sure is that all throughout history, gold has been a measure of wealth. And with good reason. Gold has never been worth zero. And guess what? Now you can have real gold and silver as part of your wealth, either in your retirement accounts or delivered securely to your home by working with the Oxford Gold Group. This is the industry leader in precious metals and the only gold and silver company I trust. Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. If you want to get financial stability, you need to look into acquiring real gold and silver with the Oxford Gold Group. Call Oxford today at 833-600-GOLD. Don't gamble with your hard-earned money. Put your money into something solid, safe, and secure. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and get your free investment guide right now, 833-600-GOLD. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, audience of the Buck Sexton Show. I am not Buck Sexton. I am Rob Smith, and I want to just let you know who I am um, as I go into this journey of guest hosting for Buck Sexton today. First of all, um, I am an Iraq War veteran. I'm a senior contributor to Turning Point USA. I'm the author of a book called Always a Soldier, and I am the host of my own podcast. It is called Rob Smith is Problematic. You can get that um, on iHeart Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I met Buck Sexton. Buck is a is a really great, amazing guy. I met Buck Sexton randomly. I've been doing uh, media for a while. I come out as conservative about uh, three years ago. And this is probably about a year and a half ago at this point. I met Buck on the subway in New York City pre-COVID before all of this craziness. And and Buck runs up to me. It's like, hey, Rob, like you're Rob Smith. You know, how's it going? I listen to your stuff. I love it. Um, And we're just talking. You know, Buck is a, is a normal guy. He, I've met a lot of media figures in this world because when you do this, you meet everybody. And Buck is... Uh, one of my favorite people that I've met in this industry. He was just very normal. He was very gregarious. He said, hey, Rob, you know, it's great to meet you. Um, and just a, a couple of days later, I met him again at um, at a gala for the, I think it was the New York Young Republicans Republicans Club. So Buck and I are very cool. He actually gave me the advice as to what podcast mic I should buy for my first podcast. So I say all this to say, Buck is a great guy. I am so happy and thrilled to be filling in for you. I am not Buck. I am me. But I think that if you like Buck Sexton uh, and you like his point of view, I think that you will like my point of view. So let's get into it. So this week, uh, is was obviously um another week in in this sort of new America that we live in in which everybody is obsessed with race all the time. If you cannot tell from my voice or if you have never, you know, heard of of me before, never seen any of my my stuff, I am black. I'm a black American, so I came out as conservative like I said a couple of years ago. Um and I have a lot of takes on very many things. But let's talk about what everyone is talking about this week, which is this George Floyd uh Derek Chauvin trial verdict right and, and and so let's let's 
start back off with the initial video, which I saw it, you saw it, everyone saw it. Everyone saw the video of this officer, you know, with his knee on George Floyd's neck for for nine minutes and 29 seconds, I believe. Um, And, you know, this has kind of been memory hold. This has kind of been wiped out of the memory of America. But everybody, left or right, was absolutely horrified at this video. That is... Uh, was never under question. I, I think that a lot of people on the left wanted to pretend that there was any conservative with any platform, uh, mainstream or otherwise, that was at all defending Derek Chauvin's um, actions in this case. And that never happened. So so first of all, let's just start there. Uh, the video was horrifying. And, and for me, it, it's quite obvious that there was something very wrong here with this officer's behavior. Not only the violence of it, but the callousness with which he looked at the people that were screaming for him to stop all of this other stuff. Um, this is very disturbing. I've never discounted that. And the vast majority of conservatives have never discounted that. So there's this idea that this was somehow a, a left-right thing. So there were conservatives that were uh, championing this, and there were leftists uh, or people on the left that were saying this is wrong. So that is false, first of all. And so now the question is, now that the verdict has come in, and this man has been found guilty of all of all charges, guilty of murder of three charges, uh, I think that he has uh, faces up to 40 years in prison or something like that. So the question is now, did this man get a fair trial? And I believe that that is a fair question to ask. I, I really do. When we're talking about our criminal justice system, when we're talking about um, the idea that everyone deserves a fair trial. The question is, did this man get a, get a fair trial? That's a fair question to ask. And the reason people are asking this question is because Never before have we seen so much intervention from outside sources, from outside people um, that could influence the way a jury sees a case or or could influence this verdict. Now, one of the the craziest interventions right here was was from uh, Maxine Waters, and everybody knows Maxine Waters. Literally, so first of all, Maxine Waters, um, the you know, has been in Congress for thirty years. It's done absolutely nothing for her district. She lives in a six million dollar home outside of her district, which is in California. So she flew all the way across the country to insert herself right in the middle of this moment and to tell people that were protesting. This was before the verdict. Um, that we need to get more confrontational because we want a guilty verdict. In fact, her behavior and sort of inserting herself into this national conversation was so egregious that even the judge in the case said that this may be, you know, grounds for an overturn on appeal. This is the judge that said this. And, and he said over and over and over again that he wishes uh, that political figures would have stayed out of this case, but they did not stay out of it. So, so Maxine Waters um, intervene in this. And this is what she said. And, and basically, there was the threat of more violence and more looting if this trial did not come out the way that the BLM mob wanted it to come out. If this man was not found guilty of all three counts, then there was going to be more violence or looting. I knew it. I know it. You know it. Uh, everybody knew it. This is why Minneapolis was boarded up. This is why they were they were they were stealing themselves for this verdict in case it did not come back guilty. So there's definitely she was definitely calling for virus in this moment. OK. And but the thing about it is, is that she can get away with this because she's going to have um, these brain dead idiots in the mainstream media defending her. And one of those brain dead idiots in the mainstream media is Don Lemon, who has the absolute wrong take about everything. 
And, you know, I want you to play uh, Cut 17. This is Don Lemon defending Maxine Waters in this case. Look at me, everyone. Do you really think Maxine Waters is calling for violence? Maxine Waters is not calling for violence. Everyone knows that. She makes a lot of people uncomfortable, especially a lot of men, and quite frankly, especially, especially a lot of white men, because she puts them in her place. She tells you, shut up. Respect this person. Don't talk to me that way. And she gives it to you like it is. She gives it to you like it is. So, you know, somebody like Maxine Waters will always be able to do this. And, and, got, and you know, these leftist politicians, they say the, the nuttiest stuff because they will be protected by the mainstream media and by people like Don Lemon. And so he says people with half a brain know she wasn't calling for violence. That is That is garbage because those people that were in the streets in, in Minneapolis protesting knew exactly what she was saying. And she knew exactly what she was saying as well. So that was just one aspect of the, the influence that, that outside sources had on this case. And mind you, yet again, uh, I'm not, I'm not defending Derek Chauvin. I'm not defending this stuff. The question that we should be having here as all Americans is, did this man get a fair trial? Right. And so there, there was this, there was Joe Biden literally saying as the jurors were deliberating that he was praying for the quote unquote right verdict. Right. So this stuff matters. We have an NPR article that was literally titled what we know about the jurors in the Chauvin case. These people that were on this jury had to have been terrified for their lives. They had to have been terrified as to what would happen to them. And this is regardless, white, black, otherwise, they had to have been terrified as to what would happen to them if they in their minds thought that that Chauvin was not guilty of murder, that he was guilty of manslaughter or something else. And that's the question here is, did he get a fair trial? I hope that he got a fair trial. I hope that these jurors who, by the way, were not sequestered. Um, in this case, they were not sequestered. So they went home every single day and they saw all of this stuff. So my hope is that he got a fair trial. My gut is that it, it didn't. And, and the thing about it is, is that all of these jurors knew exactly what would happen to this country had this man been had this man not been found guilty on all counts. And they responded accordingly. They did. And I'm going to wrap this conversation up with a tweet from somebody that I, I follow on, on Twitter named Mike Cernovich. If you guys don't follow him, follow him. He tweeted this. On the facts and law, the Chauvin case was always a close one. He could have been properly convicted, but he did not get a fair trial as everyone from rioters to a member of Congress to the president of the United States tampered with the outcome. Today is one of national disgrace, a true insurrection. And I do not think... That Cernovich is wrong. And so now that we have gotten this guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin case, this man has been found guilty of murdering George Floyd. You would think that um, a, a lot of the people whose voices were so strong about this, we have to get this man convicted. We have to get this man convicted. You would think that that they would be satisfied with this because they got what they wanted. You would think that they would be satisfied with this verdict. But no, they are not. And I want to play for you just a, a couple of the things that the, the most prominent black politicians um, in America and some of the most prominent politicians in America of any color um, have said, uh, I, I want you to play, uh, play cut one, play Cory Bush. This verdict is a step. It's a popping of the lock to be able to get to the place where we can open the door and really start to do the work to save lives. And so 
this egregious murder that happened. We can call it murder now. This egregious murder that happened. It should not be that it has to look like that in order for us to have some type of semblance of what people call justice. This was accountability, but it's not yet justice. Justice for us is saving lives. Justice for us is saving lives. And so what you see here, this is this is really interesting. Um, this is a moving of the goalposts, right? So this verdict, um, a, a guilty verdict, is, is what people wanted, right? And this was originally seen as justice when they wanted a guilty verdict. So now they got this guilty verdict. Um, they got the guilty verdict. And, and thank God Minneapolis didn't burn. Thank God other cities did not burn. I, I think that everybody is very happy about that. In fact, you know, somebody, you know, Greg Gutfeld over on Fox got in a little bit of trouble because he said what a lot of people were thinking. Is this something that I would say? Absolutely not. But he said, and this is what Greg Gutfeld said, which I found so interesting. He said, I'm happy. I think he said that I don't, it was something to the effect of, I don't know if Chauvin was guilty or not in terms of the charges, but I, I am happy that he was found guilty because I don't want my streets to be burning. I don't want riots to be happening. I don't want all of this stuff that we know happens when, when, when these situations come to America. I don't want all this stuff to happen. Uh, is that something that I would say? No, uh, but that is something that a lot of people are thinking. And here's the thing. You're going to hear a, a lot of this stuff. When Cori Bush says that this is about accountability, but it's not yet justice, they have not achieved the goals that they wanted to achieve with this. And by the way, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, there are some goals with criminal justice system overhaul that are good goals, that are goals that we should all want as a society. Because the thing about it is, we have to have a conversation about the criminal justice system, which, yes, has been grossly unfair to African-Americans and has been for decades. That is a fact. We know that. Right. That is why under the Trump administration, uh, they passed the First Step Act for criminal justice reform. Now, this was passed under the Trump administration. As a matter of fact, I remember lobbying on Capitol Hill with, with me, Candace Owens. I think we lobbied Ted Cruz about it. We definitely we lobbied Senator Rand Paul about it. So this was a, this is a conversation that has become non, nonpartisan, um, this conversation about criminal justice reform. This is a bipartisan conversation. And so now this George Floyd case and, and everything about it is kind of being used for this, to, to push this, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, but the problems that I have with this, and I'm going to get into this in a little bit, the problems that I have with this are using um, and, and martyring George Floyd in this conversation. And I want you to listen to, there are, are a couple other people that, that had something else to say about this. I want you to play cut three, uh, play Bakari Sellers. Yeah, this is not justice. I don't want anyone to get confused about the journey that we're on, the journey that we're on together. I mean, there are a couple of things. Um, justice would be uh, George Floyd alive. Justice would be policy and reforms in place that ensure that when police interact with people of color, they can live through those interactions. Yesterday was a good step when it comes to accountability, though. And you have to have some hope because finally we have accountability in a criminal justice system 
that hasn't ever been there before. And so that is why people are breathing easier. That's why people are having some semblance of hope because of that accountability. And so the issue that I have with that is this. When we talk about accountability and when we talk about breathing easier, and and, and I have to say that there are a lot of these uh, black leftist political commentators that make a career out of pretending that the average black American walks through this world being afraid of police, that the average black American walks through this world um, thinking that they are going to be, in LeBron James's words, hunted down by white police officers, right? They, they make a living off of this. And the, the issue that I have with this is that, and this is something that, that nobody really wants to say, but, the, but I'll say it. The issue that I have with this is this. None of these people deserve to die. You know, George Floyd didn't deserve to die. Breonna Taylor didn't deserve to die. These people did not deserve to die. So that is not the conversation. And whenever you kind of like poke holes in, in these talking points, the idea of people say, oh, well, you know, you just you think that they deserve to die and all this stuff. That, that's not the conversation. So the conversation is this. We never take into account the structural issues that exist within these communities that lead certain people to have more negative interactions with the police, to engage in, in the types of crime and in, in that kind of stuff that will lead you to have a negative uh, interaction with the police. We had another another BLM case. You know, you're not going to hear anything about them, about this case anymore. That's over. It's a young man named Dante Wright. Right. Um, so Dante Wright was shot and killed by police officers. And of course, this is going to be another BLM thing. This is going to be another, you know, justice in the streets, protest, all of that other stuff. And then the body cam footage comes out and you see that, number one, that this man was this man had multiple warrants. He was stopped uh, by the police officers. Now, when the story was first gotten to the media, um, they, they interviewed the mother and the mother said, oh, well, he called me because he got stopped by, because some some air fresheners were, were you know, hanging off of the uh, the rearview mirror, which was a total lie, by the way. And so when the story gets out, they, you know, you think that this young man was just shot and killed by these police officers. And it turns out that it was a tragic accident. Number one, this man had warrants. Um, he struggled with the police officers and drove away. Some idiot cop shot him with the gun, thought it was her taser. She needs to never wear a badge again, by the way, because that was awful. Uh, but this thing ended up being a tragic mistake that wasn't at all racially motivated. But we never have the conversation as to why we do not want to talk about the failings in, in these structures and the failings in some segments of the community that leads to people having more negative interactions with the police. We never talk about crime rates. We never talk about fatherlessness. We never talk about broken families. We never talk about any of that stuff. So then it becomes we have created a world in which the government, you know, this is the world that the left wants to create, uh, a world in which the government controls all. But the government is the the de facto daddy in these homes. And so the government is always at fault. And that is where the conversation is. I don't like it. The conversation never really moves past that. But I have to tell you that in all of this stuff, in the George Floyd stuff, in the BLM protests, and all of this stuff. And I want to get into a, a little bit more of this after the break, because George Floyd is not someone to be martyred. He is only being martyred and treating treated in the way that he is, because he is a pawn for their agenda. 
a lot of you like me are just at that phase where you're starting to think about the future, your family, how you're going to build for the security that you want. And so you're putting a little money away in an IRA or 401k. You're taking the basic steps to protect yourself financially and to build. And part of that should also be on your to-do list, establishing a will or trust. And at trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff should the need arise, and plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your home with just clicks of a mouse. It's so easy. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can actually cost thousands of dollars, and they use a one-size-fits-all approach. It's not nearly specialized enough. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. And they've got live customer support seven days a week. Their team's available to answer any questions you have. This is just one of these things you've got to do. And you want to do it now. Get it out of the way. Like getting your taxes done early. You want to get this done too. Give yourself the opportunity to prepare now for your future. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash buck. You'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Just go to this website, trustandwill.com slash buck. That's right, 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash buck. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So... The truth is that George Floyd does not matter to the left. This young man, Dante Wright, does not matter to the left. Brianna Taylor, these people don't, these people do not matter to the left. These are pawns for their agenda. And, you know, it, it's so funny because every once in a while, they say the quiet part out loud. These leftist politicians and these leftist political commentators, all of that stuff, they, they say the quiet part out loud. Basically, Minneapolis Mayor, Mayor Jacob Fry said that he's, he's getting slammed for this. He said that George Floyd's death, quote, will have bettered our city. He said George Floyd's death will have bettered our city. White liberals, I'm telling you, they are literally something else. This was the same Minneapolis mayor, by the way, um, <laughs> that that totally got cucked by a, a, a mob of BLM protesters last summer. They basically told him he was trying to talk to them. He was trying to empathize with them. He was trying to do all of these things that, that weak leftist politicians that are run by the mob do. Um, and he tried to apologize for him. <laughs> and and he basically got cucked. He basically got ran out, ran out of all of this stuff. So that's that's who Jacob Fry is. He's he's weak. He's a cuck. You know, uh, this stuff is happening in, in Minneapolis. His city uh, w- was burned down. Basically, George Floyd's death will have bettered our city. No, <laughs> George Floyd's death and everything that that was behind it has destroyed Minneapolis um, to the tune. I believe it was. $55 million worth of property dan- damage. I-, I went into this um, on my, my podcast episode this week. Uh, I have a podcast. Rob Smith is problematic. I-, I got into that. So no, George Floyd's death did not better their city. It actually destroyed their city. This entire situation, this entire media moment has, has destroyed the city to the tune of $55, millions of dollars, $55 million in property damage. And what people do not realize when it comes to all of this stuff is that that $55 million in property damage, that stuff keeps on going generationally, right? 
I was on the ground in Minneapolis last summer. I went there right after the protests. I personally, throughout my social media following, I felt so strongly about what was going on in Minneapolis. I raised like $130,000. You could look it up. $130,000 $130,000 to help rebuild Minneapolis. Uh, the bulk of that money went to an organization called the, I believe it's called the Lake Street Council in, in Minneapolis. So we raised about $130,000 um, that, that went to the Lake Street Council to to build up Minneapolis. When you walk down the streets of Minneapolis, it is like, and guys, let me tell you something. I, I told you I'm an Iraq War veteran. It was like It was like being in Baghdad. I had never seen anything like this. I had never seen anything like this. You walk down the streets, the Walgreens is completely bombed out. There was a target that was bombed out. If you get deeper into my social media, um, I'm on, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. If you get deeper into that, I, I took a video inside the target as it was being ransacked. Um, Wendy's gone, AutoZone gone, liquor store gone, a whole bunch of local bars, restaurants, clubs, this whole strip completely gone, completely decimated, right? And so ask yourself why you never see these images. The only thing that the mainstream media is going to want to show you that is coming out of Minneapolis is that George Floyd Memorial, which, by the way, when you watch local news reports there, people that live in that neighborhood say that that area is not safe at night. So that's all you'll ever see from the mainstream media. But you will not see the streets that are completely bombed out. It is insane. And what happens with that is that it affects businesses in the future. Um, it, It stops them from wanting to open up there. It stops people from wanting to live there. And who is affected by these riots, these BLM protests to the tune of millions and millions of dollars? Let me tell you something. It ain't white liberals, all right? Because white liberals do not live here in these neighborhoods. It is always black people. It is always black Americans that are bearing the brunt of this stuff. It is black Americans who now have no Walgreens, have no AutoZone, have no Target. It happens all the time. Even, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, probably probably last week, uh, people were, were looting the Dollar Tree in the neighborhood. And so now, these people have martyred a man who was basically, look, George Floyd was a common criminal. This man committed armed robberies. He held a gun to a pregnant woman's stomach in one of them. This is a thing. This man had a golden casket funeral. This man is being martyred. This man is being immortalized as some sort of patron saint of black history. There are people, and I am not kidding you guys with this, there are people that are getting baptized at the George Floyd Memorial. Because this is how little people like Jacob Fry and Nancy Pelosi and all these people, this is what they truly believe about black people. This is what they think. I am honestly sick and tired of this. And I honestly, so is, so is Candace Owens. And she has come under fire for some statements that she made um, about this whole thing and, and about the, the trial in general. Play cut 20. 
This was not a trial about George Floyd or Derek Chauvin. This was a trial about whether the media uh, was powerful enough to create a simulation and decide upon a narrative absent any facts, whether it was powerful enough to repeat showing and talking about a nine-minute clip that came from somebody's cell phone without adding any context, without showing the full, you know, the full police video, which they could have released. They refused to release the full body cam, which would have added more clarity um, to the fact that the media was lying. You know, the media came out. Let's not forget this, Tucker. The media came out and told us that this was a man who was just getting his life together. He was a good, you know, good member of society, and he got mixed up because a racist white police officer had it out for him and, and killed him. All of that fell apart. All of the facts came out, and all of that fell apart. We now know, of course, that he had enough fentanyl in him. It was three times the lethal dosage, three times lethal dosage in him when he died. But nobody cares, because the media was successful in putting out a narrative, and they kept hitting that narrative. And the reason why the Democrats are happy is because they realize, of course, the media supports them. And now means the Democrats can get whatever they want, because they can create a narrative, and then they can treat people like pawns and get them to basically say, if we don't get what we want, we will run. Riots, we will loot. We will send these people out like soldiers to destroy your neighborhoods. And that is exactly what has happened. That has been the determination of this trial. The media and the Democrats now have enough power to bully, to bully and to lie to and to create propaganda and to successfully win. And that is what happened. And they are celebrating that win today. This was not a fair trial. Only one side. No person can say this was a fair trial. And I mean, of course, of course, she's absolutely right. Of course she is. But, you know, that's the thing. You know, you're, quote unquote, not allowed to say that. And, of course, you know, Candace started trending and they were calling her, you know, all sorts of names, you know, whatever they call, you know, black conservatives that that don't kind of like toe this liberal line. And when we come back from the break um, to to wrap at least this part of this up, I want to play you what. They are saying that they they people are basically saying that this is just life in America for all black people. I reject it. And I'm going to tell you why after the break. And so there's this idea that this George Floyd case, Derek Chauvin, all of this other stuff. There's this idea that black Americans just exist in this world in which this could happen to us at any moment. So since I'm a black man, I exist in this world that <laughs> I can literally walk out of the house and, you know, I'm just going to get gunned down by police, police officers. So I want you to play. Um, I want you to play cut five for me in a second. This is Marilyn Mosby. This <laughs> this woman is <laughs> she is the state's attorney for Baltimore, Maryland. And, and this is what she has to say about all this. It was thanks to that video that visually depicted George Floyd being callously murdered on camera that could not be contradicted. And while I understood the prosecutor's argument to the jury, I wholeheartedly disagreed that what Derek Chauvin did was not policing in America. Because what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd is absolutely policing in America for black people in this country. The infliction of excessive force, the violation of de-escalation policies, the refusal to render aid, the complete and utter indifference to the lives of black people is exactly what policing has been and continues to be for America in America for black people. So, yes, Derek Chauvin was on trial, but so was policing in America. So this is a lie. Uh, This is a fallacy. This is something that is not true. The lie 
that this kind of aggressive over-policing, and like I said before, um, it w- this was aggressive. Okay, it was it was criminal in some ways. Like what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd was criminal. I've never denied that, nor has any other conservative, nor is anybody else left or right in this country. Nobody's denied that. But this idea that the reality for life of life for black people in America is just to be aggressively over police is one that I strongly object to. Right. And so this media culture, this is dangerous. And let me tell you something. This media culture with people like, you know, Marilyn Mosby, with people like uh, Bakari Sellers, people like all of these people who basically live, these people live in gated communities. I think Marilyn, Marilyn Mosby bought like two, uh, like two houses in Florida to the tune of a million dollars combined, something like that. So these people live in gated communities, have security. These people are operating at the, the top levels of American society and what they will have these brain dead liberals and and some of their brain dead followers believe is that every black person lives in this world in which they could just be gunned down by police officers that is just not true and this is a dangerous message to to all of america but particularly to black america and this is a dangerous media culture it engenders hatred for police officers among african americans And the BLM culture that says that in no circumstances should they ever use force, not even when lives are at risk. Every time something like this happens, if if there's a shooting or something like that, oh, well, you know, you shoot them in the leg or shoot them in the thigh or, you know, shoot the knife out of the hand or something like that. These things uh, are, are not the reality of police officers. I did an interview with a man named Brandon Tatum for my podcast earlier this week. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. And he was a police officer and he talked about this. And this was very interesting. I'm a veteran. You know, I served in the military, but I'm, but I wasn't a police officer. And it was very interesting. He said, in your training, you are, you are taught to aim center mass because that is the largest area of target, um, that you can hit. Because if you try to hit a hand or a knee or something like that, you're going to shoot somewhere else. And you know, you can have a straight bullet and that could possibly kill somebody. Right. And so they're not taught to to speak like this and furthermore the most aggressive cop haters the people that are taught to hate the police more these are the people that are brainwashed by these brain dead liberals and they are taught to be aggressive cop haters and they're in living in communities that are over policed because of the simple fact that they are so crime ridden and people that actually live in these communities do not want to defund the police. People that actually live in these communities do not want less police. They want more policing. But you will never hear their stories or their messages on the mainstream media because that is not what the mainstream media wants. New York One, I believe, did a did a story where they went to some of these neighborhoods um, deep in Brooklyn and New York because there are areas in New York that are that, that I'm telling you that you do not ever want to go to. Okay, Brooklyn ain't Park Slope. (laughs) Okay, in downtown Brooklyn. Brooklyn gets very real. And they went to that area of Brooklyn and they would they asked these people if they wanted more or less police. They always said more police because they know how dangerous these communities can be. And when there are less police on the streets, it is more dangerous for hardworking people of all races, but particularly hardworking African-Americans that live in these communities. And so I want you to look at all of these BLM cases. Look at George Floyd. Look at Jacob Blake. Look at Dante Wright. These are all people with lengthy criminal records that put them into the position to have police interactions. 
And these people were taught to be aggressive to police officers, and they were being taught to hate the cops, and they're being taught that they can, in Dante Wright's case, literally try, literally try to resist, push that woman off of him, and drive away. This is what they're being taught by people who do not live in these communities, who do not really care about these communities. And this is not to say that criminals deserve to die. Again, I am not saying that. I feel like every time you have a conversation about this that is right of center, people want to try to make it seem like you think that people deserve to die. That is not the case. But to people like Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney for Baltimore, Maryland, which is, by the way, one of the most corrupt, crime-ridden, and dangerous places for black people in all of America, can never say what I am saying to you because she has gotten too wealthy and too powerful off of that system that tells young black people to hate the police, that their lives are in constant danger. Oh, and by the way, vote for the Democrats because we will save you and we will keep you safe. It is nonsense. It is nonsense. It makes no sense. And she does this. And other people like her, they all do this because they profit and get rich off of pushing the false narrative that the only factor in these deaths is white racism and racist white police officers. And that's false. And when you want to talk about profiting off of this narrative, Let's talk about the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Inc., Patrice Cullors, 37 years old. Now, she was just put on blast by the New York Post for having a real estate portfolio to the tune of $3.5 million. Now, this includes a $1.5 million house, and I believe it's Topanga Canyon, Los Angeles, with a uh, population that is 1%, 1 1.8% black, by the way. So she's definitely with her people there. A uh, a house in Georgia that has its own private airplane hangar and a, a couple of other properties, right? So you have to ask yourself, who is really benefiting from pushing this agenda? And of course, she tried to clean it up and she said, oh, well, you know, um, you know, I never took any money from BLM. But that's not the point because she is being paid handsomely via book deals, via speaking engagements, uh, via development deals with, with Hollywood and all this stuff. Because you have to understand that, that Hollywood is in an, on, on all this stuff as well. And they cannot wait to find people that are going to push that agenda because they will be rewarded handsomely. And so the people that are benefiting from this agenda, like Patrice Cullors, to the tune of three and a half million dollars in real estate, God knows how many tens of millions she has accumulated at this point. This is coming at the expense of the real, actual black people that have to live in the neighborhoods that are being destroyed by BLM protests. So when you think about people that are profiting off of this and think about people that are really hurting because of this. I'm worried about all the federal government spending that's going on. No question. And I don't trust this Biden administration one bit. But given the way the Fed's been acting and the fact that we're going to be coming out of lockdown, maybe we could be in for a really historic boom in the stock market still. I know sounds uh, like a little counterintuitive to some folks. But my friends at Carnivore Trading are all about taking those contrarian positions and making lots and lots of money when they spot key indicators. They think the biggest profits are going to come in sectors ahead that Wall Street experts are largely going to miss. Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. 
You can mirror those trades with your own discount broker or pass if you're not interested, but they're going to give you great opportunities. And when you see how often their trades routinely crush the S&P 500, you're going to realize Carnivore is fantastic. They guarantee you'll earn five times. That's right. They guarantee it five times your monthly subscription or they'll double your money back 5x your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a real upswing here. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades today. Right now, if you join, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com. That's the website, GetOurTrades.com, and use promo code BUCK. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. So now as we again enter into the summer of love, uh, another summer of love, which by summer of love, I mean another summer of, of race riots, protesting, all of that stuff. There is another shooting um, that is getting a lot of attention right now. And I just want to break down how manipulative the media is when it comes to things like this. And so I'm going to give you a little background in the shooting. There's a young lady named Micaiah Bryant that was shot and killed by a police officer in Columbus, Ohio. And when I saw this, I am from Ohio. I'm proud to be from Ohio. Ohio gave me my values. And when I saw this video, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, or just when I saw the case, I'm like, oh, my God, not Ohio. Like, I really need to see what's happening here. And we're at the point right now where when I see person shot by black person shot by white police officers stories, I'm just automatically critical because there's autumn. There's always more to the story. Right. So this is the background to to this uh, Micaiah Bryan case. So this is a black girl that was in, is, in, is in foster care, was in foster care, was in some kind of altercation. With, with another young lady in the front of her house in Columbus, was shot by a police officer four times, right? So this child with th- this kid, this is, she was a 16-year-old girl, she was shot by the police officer four times. Now, when you listen to that, you are absolutely horrified because you think, oh, my God, what, what could have possibly happened? And it turns out, when the body cam comes out, that this young lady had a knife. She was in a fight with another girl. She pushed the girl to the ground. She had a knife and was literally, when you see this footage, she is about ready to plunge this knife into this other girl, this other black girl, by the way, before the cop shot her. So the cop shoots her four times. She dies. Unfortunate. It is an awful, awful, awful situation. It's very unfortunate. So my question is, did he have to shoot her four times? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in that police officer's mind, right? But... That's what we know when we see the body cam footage. And so this is what the media, this is how the media um, reports this stuff when it it first happens. Okay, so this is the New York Post. And I'm going to, this is the headline. Mom of Ohio teen girl fatally shot by cop speaks out. I want answers. So this is the first thing people see. And, you know, she says that the daughter was loving and peaceful um, and, and all of this other stuff. And so this is what we're getting from the mainstream media, because they know that 
they know that this is a narrative that can work for them. And in fact, you know, the uh, the usual suspects, the usual race hustlers hopped on this. Um, Benjamin Crump, the ambulance chasing attorney who's made millions and millions of dollars off of representing a BLM case. These are basically shakedowns. Of, of local governments, you know, get millions and millions of dollars. So he tweets out, oh, it just, you know, uh, it, this is starting all over again. And an unarmed black girl has been shot by police officers. Obviously, this tweet goes around the world. It goes viral, blah, blah, blah. This, this, this young lady was not unarmed. She had a knife. She had a knife and was about to physically attack a young woman. That knife could have gone into her throat. That knife could have gone into her chest. That knife could have gone into her stomach. We do not know. All we know is that when you watch the footage, this 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 16 year old girl was was stopped from stabbing another girl. And so now that we see all this stuff, now that we know the truth, the narrative is still stronger than the truth. And I'm just going to give you an example of this is what people are, are saying about this. This is this is the era that we are in right now, because I'm telling you guys, we live in clown world. We live in absolute clown world, and this is what people say. So this is from a woman named Bree Newsom. Bree Newsom is a, a far, far left race hustler who went viral. She climbed the flagpole in South Carolina and took down the Confederate flag. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Confederate flag. I thought it was a pretty cool moment, you know, whatever. But she has become a, you know, a, a, a far left race hustler. So this is what she does. And, and she, she tweeted, teenagers have been having fights including not well, excuse me, sorry teenagers have been having fights including fights involving knives for eons we do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers y'all need help i mean that sincerely and by y'all need help i mean i'm uh, assuming that she means the people um that that think that that don't think that teenage girls should just be allowed to have knife fights without police altercations i guess we are the people that need help in 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 the eyes of this woman this from valerie jarrett valerie jarrett obvious uh one of the most powerful women in america probably in the world a black teenage girl named makaya bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight demand accountability fight for justice Hashtag Black Lives Matter, of course. So this is what we are getting from these people. And this is the point of time where I wonder if I really am living in clown world. Where I really, I wonder if we are really living in a world in which we have some of the most powerful and influential people in society basically saying that, you know, those teenagers were just fighting with knives. Go ahead and let them fight. Go ahead and let them fight. Go ahead and let that girl, you know, stab the other girl, whatever. You know, just tase her. Pull her off. Like, do what you can. And so the accountability, again, is always on these police officers, and it's never on the the actions of the people that are involved in this stuff. And and that's the, the thing that kills me. And again, I have to say over and over and over again that these people do not deserve to die. That is not what I'm saying. But... This is insanity. This is craziness. And instead of having the conversation and sort of breaking down at, at what point, um, at, at what point does the degradation of, of the family, at what point is this person so troubled that you have a teenage girl that's getting into a knife fight? Nobody wants to ask those questions. And by the way, when we're speaking of this, nobody 
even knows the name of the young lady whose life was saved. The young lady who was about to get that knife in her throat or her stomach or her chest. Nobody knows who that person is. Nobody knows how she feels about this. Nobody knows how she feels about that cop basically saving her life. Nobody nobody knows about that. Nobody Because that does not fit the narrative. And the narrative, I'm telling you. The narrative is something that I'm over. The narrative is something is something that I am tired of. This this narrative has to end. We have to start demanding more from people. We have to start demanding more from police officers in a lot of these cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. The woman that, that killed Dante Wright, she's an idiot. She should never wear a badge again. Chauvin obviously used very, very excessive force when it comes to George Floyd. Could this person that, that shot Makai Bryant, could he have tased her or whatever? I don't know. I'm not in that situation. But at a certain point, we have to look in the mirror and talk about exactly what is going on in some of these communities that lead to this. And this is the conversation that the left can never has. And so as soon as someone on the right says it, now look, if a white person on the right says it, they're racist. If a black person on the left says it, um, they're an Uncle Tom. (laughs) You know, it, it just, at a certain point, we are going to have to come back to reality when it comes to the situation of, you know, th- this sort of BLM violence and, and this police violence and all of this stuff. And at a certain point, we have to hold the media accountable for this. And I'm going to tell you why and how we need to do that after the break. All right, guys, if you are just joining us, my name is Rob Smith. I am filling in for Buck Sexton. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. And my podcast is Rob Smith is Problematic. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get into the media's culpability in all of this stuff. And let's get into how some of the most influential people, influential African-Americans in American society keep on pushing a a negative message. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I used to be a, I'm a recovering journalist. I actually have a master's degree in journalism from Columbia university. I've worked in media industry. I've written for CNN. I've done um, stories and reporting for, for NBC news, uh, digital. I did it like Yahoo news or whatever. I did it all. All right. So when I go in, in my media bashing mode, I'm doing it from a place of authority because because I know what this is. And so I'm going to tell you a story about I graduated from Columbia uh, Graduate School of Journalism in 2015. One of my first jobs when I got that master's degree, one of my first jobs out of school was I was a uh, a multimedia journalist for a uh, digital media startup. And basically what this digital media startup was was they would take things that were happening in the news. Um, I would rewrite the story. I would track it. Obviously, you know, I got a great voice. You guys have been listening to it, hopefully. <laughs> um, so I would I would speak out these stories. I would write it. Um, and then we would put them out there because sometimes these, uh, these stories just need video on them. In the summer of 2016, there was nothing that was spoken of more because, uh, mind you, this was an election year. This was when all of the unarmed black person killed by police officers. This is when this really took hold. 2016 was when the narrative really started taking hold in mainstream media. Um, Because first of all, a lot of these mainstream media organizations saw that there was money to be made off of this. 
So part of my job is looking for the stories, turning them around um, at, at this point in time, about four years ago, five years ago, coming up on and, and turning on these stories and the people that were my bosses at the time at this place, they could not get enough of these black people being shot by white police officers story. They could not get enough of them. I was probably doing about three, four of these a day. Right. And that's when I started to realize that there was a financial incentive in all of this stuff from the mainstream media. This there's a financial incentive in this stuff to shoot these stories out there as quickly as possible before they are given any sort of context context whatsoever. And there is a, a financial incentive to this because it gets clicks. It gets views. People, literally people are outraged by it. it. It's all of this stuff. And that is when I realized that summer doing these videos over and over and over and over again and having to watch these videos, Philando Castillo, like all that, like over and over and over again. And a lot of these things that when the story came out, they were irrelevant. But by the time uh, when, when the story was more reported on, it was irrelevant. But, but by the time I did the video and put it out, you know, I was just using what was gotten on there at the time. And the media really needs to be held accountable for this. And they really need to be held accountable for things like that New York Post article that I just showed you about, that I just told you about in the last segment. Oh, this mom of slain girls shot by police officers. And I think uh, Ben Shapiro this morning, he had uh, had uh, written a Washington, he had uh, shared a Washington Post article, and he had made the point that this Washington Post article about the Micaiah Bryant shooting gets through six paragraphs before it tells you that. She was about to stab another young black girl in the chest and the media has to to be held accountable for this. Even NPR, that that bastion of 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 liberal media, NPR, when they now report stories like this, they're literally adding a disclaimer. Some of these facts may end up being not true. So this is what they say. And at what point do people continue to believe these narratives? At what point? I'm very curious about that. And the only point in which we stop believing this stuff and, and, and stop being susceptible to these narratives is when we hold these people to a higher standard. If conservative media didn't exist and if contrarian media and, and, uh, and independent journalists, if these people did not exist, I mean, can you imagine the state our world would be in if we had to depend on the Washington Post? or MSNBC or, or NPR to get all of our news. And imagine, by the way, and this is a case in which some of these reforms are great because now we have body cam footage of all of this stuff. And imagine a case in which this Makai Bryant shooting had no body cam footage. Think of the story that we would be getting told as Americans if that footage was not out there. So we have to hold this mainstream media accountable, and we also have to hold some of these people that are so influential accountable. LeBron James, you know, that that guy just told you about LeBron James, multimillionaire, you know, oh, I'm black and I'm being hunted in the streets. Yeah, you you live in Bel Air, bro. You live, you, you're worth like half a billion dollars. Your house is something like $89 million or whatever. Yeah, but you're being hunted in the streets. One of the most famous men in the world. It is ridiculous. And they use people like him to push that agenda. But he tweeted and deleted a photo of this police officer um, and used the hashtag accountability. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of all this. 
Oh, you are so tired, LeBron. Oh, you are so very tired. No, you're not. You're not at all. You love this because it makes you relevant. It makes you feel like you're doing something when the only thing that you're doing is injecting poison into the minds of Amer- all Americans, but specifically black Americans. And it's false. These things are fake. These are not real. And to wrap up the conversation on this, because I do not want to spend all of my time guest hosting this amazing show with you people talking about BLM stuff and, and, and BLM hoaxes and all this stuff. I do not want to spend that time talking to you about that. To wrap this up, and I'm going to give you a couple statistics from Fox News today. Um, fatal police shootings as of April 12, 2021. Black people, 52, three were unarmed. White people, 109, five were unarmed. We will never hear about those white people that were that were shot by the police officer unarmed because that's not clicks. That's not stories. That's not black pain. That's what these people like. You know, that 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 doesn't get clicks. That doesn't fuel the narrative. Right. So. This stuff in this narrative, this is a narrative that is used to divide America. People like George Floyd and all of these other people are being martyred to sell an agenda. And the last thing that I have to say about this is people, black Americans, white Americans, Latino Americans, Asian Americans, gay straight, I don't care who you are, people need to wake up to this agenda. Because this agenda is designed to do nothing but keep us at each, other, at each other's throats. This agenda is designed to do nothing but to destroy America which is exactly what these leftists want. This is exactly what the Communist Party of China wants. The Communist Party of China laughs at us. They laugh at this. Okay? They laugh at this. Wake up to the narrative. Wake up to the agenda. That's all I got to say about this. We're going to move on. Look, the Internet's a great convenience. We all know that. We're using it every day all the time. But there are problems, there are risks, and there are also challenges on the political front. For one thing, there are bad guys who want access to your data. And if you're using public Wi-Fi, for example, with your phone, with laptops, ever, they can use that as a means of getting access to your most sensitive information. And once you figure it out, it's usually too late. Plus, as we know, the big tech giants are censoring conservative points of view. You're getting shadow banned without even knowing it these days. And that's just the way that it is. So I can tell you about a way to just download an app and create protection through encryption for all of your data and also hide your stuff online. What I mean by that is your IP address, because that's how big tech traces you. Well, with a virtual private network, a VPN, they can't do that. And that's why you need the best virtual private network in the business, ExpressVPN. Just think about this. You download ExpressVPN. It's an app. You get it set up on your phone, all your devices in a minute or two. It's so quick. You set up ExpressVPN and you're anonymizing a lot of your online presence. You hide your IP address. You encrypt your data. This is a basic online security and safety measure. It's time to say no to hackers and to censors. Take back your online security and privacy with expressvpn.com slash buck. Just go to this website now, sign up for it. If you sign up for one year, you'll get three extra months free by going to expressvpn.com slash buck. 
That's expressvpn.com slash buck. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. All right, guys, let's back off BLM and and race and and all of this stuff for a little bit, because I promise you I can speak of other things that God knows I want to. I'm over it. So (laughs) President Biden, Joe Biden, has set a September 11th deadline for the withdrawal of troops from Iraq. And there are a lot of differing opinions on this right now. And I'm going to I'm going to play one of you one for you a little bit later. But I have to say that I actually agree with this. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you a veteran's perspective. So I, I served in the military for, for five years. I was infantry. I did, uh, I did a tour in Kuwait. I did a tour in Iraq. I actually agree with withdrawing the troops because I do not believe in endless war. I do believe that we should get our troops out of these endless wars in the Middle East right now, point blank, period. That is how I feel about this. I feel about I feel like the war in Iraq has not been worth the upwards of 4000 American lives that have been lost there. I do not believe that I was deployed in Iraq for just under a year. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest. I, I wrote a book about this. It's called Always a Soldier. Um, you can find it on on Amazon dot com. Find it on Google. Uh, find it on, on, on my Twitter. There was so much time that I personally spent in Iraq. There there was a lot of time that we were spent literally wondering what on earth we were doing there. And the the way that uh, Iraq, you know, came out, the way that it turned out, it, it just ended up being to me, you know, it, it's just a failed state. And we're finally getting the rest of our troops out of there. But when it comes to Afghanistan and, and these endless wars, you're now getting to a point where you have the sons of soldiers, right, that serve there that are actually serving in these wars right now. And when we get into endless wars in the Middle East, wars that that never end, it's demoralizing for American troops. And it's honestly, it lets these people over there, these these Afghani troops, these Iraqi troops, whatever, it lets them believe that we're always going to be there to literally like, you know, like, you know, wipe their noses. We're always going to be there to infantilize them. These people need to learn how to run their own countries, period. I am so tired of American soldiers being the, you know, the, the world police. You know, I'm so tired of our young men and women in uniform uh, being pawns for the, the swamp in their games. Because these people, let me tell you something, these people love endless war. And, you know, I agree with this. And strangely enough, so does President Trump. And, and we all knew that President Trump was against forever war as well. This is why he was targeted by the swamp. This is why these people, a part of the, a part of the reason why that people hated him so much. President Trump called this a wonderful and positive thing to do. He had set a uh, May 1st withdrawal deadline. And, and President Trump says that we should keep as close to that schedule as possible. This is, I, I think, from his statement that was reported by CNN. Um, and this is very interesting. Um, and this is a take that, that that former President Trump had on this. He said, I wish Joe Biden wouldn't use September 11th as the date to withdraw our troops from Afghanistan for two reasons. First, we sh- we can and should get out earlier. 19 years is enough, in fact, far too much and way too long. 
He said September 11th represents a very sad event and period for our country and should remain a, re- a day of reflection and remembrance, honoring those great souls, souls we lost. I completely agree with this. I completely agree with it. And not to get conspiracy theorists with you guys. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not even far right. People call me far right. I it, It's laughable to me. But it's almost like these people want to mute the memory of what happened on September 11th and use this 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 troop withdrawal date and put it on that date so that we do not remember um, the fact that, you know, America was hit with one of the worst terrorist attacks in, in our history on September 11th. And the, the conspiracy theorist in me that that sort of like, quote unquote, far right fringe person that lives in me wonders this. But either way, the troops are coming out. I agree with it. I agree with Joe Biden. I agree with President Trump. I I agree with this. It is time for these troops to go. Unsurprisingly, there are some swampy Republicans who do not like this. I want you to listen to uh, the Senator Bersaro um, as to to what he had to say. And this is a Republican, mind you. So uh, play uh, play cut six for me. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a mistake, Andrea. I think the decision of any leader, when they make a decision based on the calendar on the wall, which is what President Biden has done, saying September 11th, rather than the conditions on the ground, I think they live to regret those decisions. I think what we're going to see, if the U.S. pulls out, NATO will pull out, and the Taliban will take over again. Uh, the president's military advisors advised against this, as did his intelligence advisors. They have said this is going to turn the clock back on the, the women of Afghanistan, the, you know, girls trying to go to school to get an education will once again be killed. Uh, this will also set up a safe haven for those that want to do harm and danger to people all around the country and around the world, not just our country, but around the world. This will be a haven for uh, terrorists. And, you know, people in the United States may say, well, we're tired of fighting radical Islamists. They're not tired of fighting us. So we need to be ever vigilant. So this is ridiculous. And number one, that's uh, John Barrasso. Sorry, this is a, a senator from Wyoming. And oh, my God. OK, th- there's there's so much to, to, to break down from that. Uh, so first of all, the this is the kind of, you know, he's a Republican. He's got an R by his name. This is the kind of swamp that President Trump was fighting against when he was president. This person probably if President Trump was reelected for another term, this person would probably have said this still. And, and would have gone to all the news media. Maybe they would have used him to be against Trump or whatever. What people don't understand is that there is an element of the swamp that goes on both sides of the aisle. There is an element of the swamp that loves forever war. They would like to keep our troops, our soldiers, our brave young men and women in uniform. They would like to keep them overseas for as long as they possibly could because you have to understand these things enrich them. Okay, so think back to uh, think back to Bush Cheney um, and and I'm going to get into to George W. Bush after the next break. But think about Bush Cheney and think about Halliburton, right? The uh, oil field services corporation. Right. So Halliburton gained thirty nine point five billion dollars in federal contracts related to the Iraq war. Dick Cheney stepped down as CEO of Halliburton around the time he got the nod to be Bush's VP. So you have to understand that there is a large element of the swamp that becomes and has become very wealthy due to forever war. They become very wealthy when they keep our American troops overseas as long as possible. And this is what President Trump was fighting against. 
The swamp was what he was fighting against. He was fighting against continuing to sacrifice our American soldiers for a quagmire, for a war that would be endless should we not end it now. So when I tell you that the swamp runs deep, I am not surprised that there are some swampy Republicans that do not like this pullout of troops out of Afghanistan. Um, they, they do not like it. You know, it, it, it gives them an excuse because they can be against Biden. But they did not want this, um, even when Trump is advocating for it. And this was um, Senator Lindsey Graham's reaction via Twitter to to Trump's statement where he said that, yes, he absolutely agrees with this. Because here's the thing. And you say what you want about Donald Trump. A lot of people have. But that man was consistent. The things that he was consistent about, he was consistent with. And he did not let the swamp influence him in that way. And so this is what Lindsey Graham said about about Trump's statement and, and his basically his statement of support for taking our troops out of Afghanistan. I could not disagree more with former President Trump regarding his support for President Biden's withdrawal of all forces from Afghanistan against sound military advice. With all due respect to former President Trump, there is nothing wonderful or positive about allowing safe havens and sanctuary for terrorists to reemerge in Afghanistan or see Afghanistan be drawn back into another civil war. So, like I said, the swamp is deep. God knows how much money Lindsey Graham is making, and God knows how many lobbyists have been. Like God, no, like I, Jesus Christ, how long has that man been in been in D.C.? These people don't have any any sort of uh, a semblance, uh, any sort of vision, any sort of ties to what the real world is outside of this. But we're going to talk about the swamp, and I, and I talked to you a little bit about Cheney, Bush, and, and, and Halliburton, and all of that stuff. And, and speaking of good old George Bush, well, he is on this repugnant media tour where he is, he is basically trying to whitewash his entire history. And, of course, the left loves loves a Republican that can be used against where the Republican Party is right now. And he has some thoughts about the state of the modern uh, Republican Party. And this is what uh, he said to he, – he's on book tour for some book of paintings. And, obviously, he's getting some fawning interview from the Today Show. Like, okay, whatever. So uh, play, play Cut 21. If you were to describe the Republican Party as you see it today, yeah. how would you describe it? Uh, I would describe it as isolationist, protectionist, and to a certain extent, nativist. Hmm. And, Are you disappointed? Well, it's not exactly my vision, yeah. but you know what? I'm just an old guy they put out to pasture, so <laughs> just a simple painter. <laughs> a simple painter. Okay, let me give you a hypothetical candidate for 2024. Okay, okay this hypothetical Republican is pro-immigration, pro a path to citizenship for undocumented workers, yeah. pro DACA, pro reasonable gun control, yeah. pro education funding for public schools. Does that person have a shot? Or that Republican, would that Republican have a shot in 2024? Sure, yeah. You think? I think so. I think that uh, it depends upon uh, the emphasis. I think if the emphasis is integrity and decency and trying to work to get problems solved, I think the person has a shot, yeah. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've... By the way, I think pro-immigration isn't the right way to put it. I think border enforcement 
with a compassionate touch. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. That's how I would put it. All right, that's a good immigration basically means let's just open up the borders, and nobody's really for that. And right. you can't have a country that has open borders. Uh-oh, you know, George Bush had to stop himself uh, at that last segment. He almost said something that was uh, that was conservative-leaning. And, and look, like I said— to, to me, you know, there's there's not much that's more repugnant right now than than the whitewashing of George W. Bush by the leftist media because he can be used to attack the Republican Party right now. And so I just have to respond to that. I was a very young soldier when he made the decision to start the fake war in Iraq, the start the war that cost over 4000 American troops their lives. And I don't think that I ever forgave him for it. Like I told you guys, I served in Iraq. I was there. And it, it just what the. There were never any WMDs. We all know that stuff. We all know it was it was fake. It, it wasn't real. And I am glad that that war is finally winding down. And so this George W. Bush, this person, this this oh he's talking about oh he's so decent and and we need decency and all this stuff. This is the same George W. Bush that started a fake war, and the same George W. Bush that was the leader of a Republican Party whose only way, mind you, the only way they could think of to reach out to black voters is to stoke kind of like anti-gay bigotry to uh, appeal to the so-called black religious rights, right? They had no other way to to reach out to black voters, right? And so right now, this new Republican Party that we're in, and, and by the way, let's just talk about this. Um, so she's asking him about this, this moderate Republican candidate who doesn't sound like a Republican candidate at all to me. It sounds like some Democrat's idea of what Republican they want, which is basically a Democrat. Um, there's not going to be any Republican that comes out in 2024 that is going to be for pu- funding public schools. The public schools are failing. So they're going to be pro-school choice, which they should be. There's not going to be any Republican that is about, quote unquote, moderate gun control, because any Republican knows that when you start messing with the Second Amendment, that is a slippery slope. And when you give the left an inch, they take a mile. There's not going to be any Republican like that. So this idea that there's going to be some mythical Democrat Republican creation that people are going to go for in 2024 is ridiculous, because even if they found this person and even if this person got the nomination, they would be smeared as a racist and a white supremacist and all these other things that they smear the Republican Party as. And which brings me back to what the party is right now. The American the the Republican Party right now is diverse. It puts America first. Right. And so let's just talk about some differences between the Republican Party now and the Republican Party as it was under George W. Bush. President Trump, former President Trump, is the first Republican president in American history. As a matter of fact, no, excuse me. He is the first president in American history to enter office as a marriage equality supporter. Trump and and that administration and other people had no problem with gay and lesbian Americans. Was not a thing. The Republican Party, as it stands right now, knows how to reach out to African-American and Latino voters and doesn't have to demonize another group in order to do that. They know that you talk to African-American voters about school choice and remind them that, yes, these public schools are failing and throwing more money at them is not the answer to this problem. And they know that the way to reach out to Latino voters is to remind them, especially those Cubans. Cause let me tell you something. These Cubans hate socialism and communism. They are not about it. And the way to reach out to those voters is to just show them what the left is doing and show them the path to communism and socialism that they are trying to put this country on. So what he's responding to is he's responding to a Republican Party that is a lot, a lot less swampy 
than the Republican Party that he presided over or the Republican Party that Dick Cheney presided over. Right. And so that is what he was responding to. So I reject completely and wholeheartedly this idea that the Republican Party under people like Trump and DeSantis and Christy Nome and, and all of these people is nativist or it's isolationist. No, the problem that George W. Bush has is that this party is no longer a party of elitists. This is now the party of the working class that puts America first. And George W. Bush and all of his all of his swampy cronies like Nicole Wallace, she's over on MSNBC. Um, George W. Like they are being at this point right now, um, they are being sort of sort of like whitewashed by the left because they can be used to attack the America first policies of this modern Republican Party. So honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. George W. Bush says that they have put him out to pasture. He needs to be put out to pasture. He's just going ahead and keep on painting because this Republican Party is not his anymore. I'm really hoping that this is a great year for small business across the country. We've got reopening happening in so many states, and we know that the future is going to be brighter for the business community in this country. It's just a question of how quickly we get back up and running, right? Part of that's going to be expansion and, of course, dealing with the personnel you already have. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. You've got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. These are the problems that I don't want to bog you down with, right? I don't want you to have to worry about this. But to handle them, you've got HR manager salaries, which are not cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. So for all the small business folks out there, you need Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E. This was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. It's month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. Go right now to this website, bambi.com slash buck, right now, and schedule a free HR audit of your business. That's bambi.com slash buck, B-A-M. B-E-E dot com slash Buck. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right. Welcome to hour three of the Buck Sexton Show. I am not Buck Sexton. If you are just now joining us, my name is Rob Smith. I am guest hosting for the amazing Buck Sexton. Uh, I am an Iraq War veteran, author of a book called Always a Soldier, senior contributor to Turning Point USA, and the host of a podcast called Rob Smith is Problematic. You can find it on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So that is who I am. Buck has left this show in my hopefully cap- capable hands today. And I just want to let you guys know that um, Stacey Abrams has still not conceded the uh, her loss in the uh, 2018 Georgia gubernatorial election. <laughs> just, you know, play cut four. It's been over two years, and you still refuse to concede that you lost the race for governor in Georgia in 2018. You have said that, quote, you do not concede that the process was proper, and that, quote, they stole it from the voters of Georgia. Yes or no, today, do you still maintain that the 2018 Georgia election was stolen? As I have always said, I acknowledged at the very beginning that I, that Brian Kemp 
one under the rules that were in place. What I object to are rules that permitted thousands of Georgia voters to be denied their participation in this election or to have their votes cast out. And so I will continue to disagree with the system until it is fixed. We have seen market progress made, and unfortunately it was undone in SB202, but I will continue to advocate for a system that permits every eligible Georgian to cast their ballots. M- 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 cast Ms. Abrams, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to please a- answer the question I asked, which is, do you, yes or no, do you still maintain the 2018 election was stolen? That's your language. My full language was that it was stolen from the voters of Georgia. We do not know what they would have done because not every eligible Georgian was permitted to participate fully in the election. Okay, so... Stacey Abrams has still not conceded her election, by the way, <laughs> neither is Hillary Clinton. So maybe they can, uh, you know, have coffee together, have a little <laughs> sore loser support group. Uh, but it's so funny that even though she hasn't conceded her election, even though she's been running around talking about that election has been stolen for t- for two years, she's not run off social media. She's not censored. She's not. You know, they don't when they're writing stories about this, they don't put these addendums that say, well, there has been no widespread evidence. Of election fraud, you know, that's what they do, you know, when when Trump says something about the 2020 election. But I, I just want to say and, and I want I'm going to get into to this Georgia voter ID thing. I'm going to get into that a little bit. But I just want to take a second to behold the power of a mainstream media that can make an absolute mediocrity like Stacey Abrams a superstar. I, I'm literally I'm talking about these uh the, the features with her in superhero poses. You know, she's got the light behind her and the smoke coming up. It's ridiculous. Like she's on the cover of Marie Claire right now. Um, because that is, you know, what you think about when you uh think about covers of fashion magazines. It it, it is really quite something to watch. It is Stepping outside of itself, sometimes you even have to admire the the gumption of the left because they will use all of the resources they have at their disposal to make these people superstars, to make this woman some some kind of hero. So even outside of all of that. So now the the big, you know, the big race thing for the left is, uh, you know, these this Georgia, um, this new Georgia voting laws. This is this is voter suppression. This is uh, Jim Crow. This is, you know, all of this other stuff. And and just listen to um, Chuck Schumer on on this Georgia ID law. And then I'm going to kind of break that down to you a little bit. Exactly what's going on. Play play uh, clip 11. These voter suppression laws, more than 250 proposed laws in more than 40 states, constitute a grave and immediate threat to the very core of our democracy. In ways both large and small, they seek to restrict the franchise, often targeting minority communities, younger voters, and dense urban districts. Our Republican colleagues have tried in vain to defend these laws as meaningful and appropriate protections against voter fraud. In many cases, those attempts have been just laughable. Just to take one example from earlier this week, the Republican-led Montana state legislature passed a law that ends Election Day voter registration and would no longer allow student IDs to be used as a sole valid form of identification. Just think about that for a moment. What problems are the Republicans in Montana trying to solve there? Has there been a rash of 40-year-olds showing up with student IDs to commit voter fraud? No, certainly hasn't been. We all know what's going on here. Younger voters have been shown to be more democratic. So Montana Republicans have made it harder for them to vote. 
It's despicable. Just despicable. So there's a lot going on here, but (laughs) let me just break down that last thing that Chuck Schumer said about the student IDs. So you are all aware of, and I'm pretty sure Chuck Schumer is aware of as well. These are not, these are not stupid people. Um, he is aware that people that are illegal immigrants can get student IDs um, in, in most states, right? That is a form of ID that, illegal, that younger illegal immigrants of voting age can't have. They are aware of that, correct? Um, just like the fact that illegal immigrants um, are able to get in-state tuition from a lot of these universities. And so they know this. But they are counting on you not to know it. And the reason why, um, of, of course, younger voters tend to be more Democratic because they listen to, to Lil Nas X and LeBron James and all these all these idiots. Um, but they know this. And they expect you not to know it. But But let me tell you something. There's a reason behind um, this suppression language, and, th- and there's a reason behind this Jim Crow language. There's a reason behind all of this stuff, like all of the, you know, uh, Joe Biden's calling this new voter ID law the new Jim Crow and all this stuff. And you have to realize this, that language is used like this to emotionally manipulate black voters um, and, and the, the white liberals who feel this constant and patronizing need to save us because facts go out of a window. When they say something is racist and when they talk about Jim Crow, then everything becomes a narrative. And let me tell you this. The idea that black Americans are too stupid to get a photo ID is offensive. And the Jim Crow talking points that they're using don't generally seem to be used when talking about states like the dim controlled Rhode Island, who has had voter ID laws well over a decade ago and has had them for a decade ago. And Rhode Island, by the way, has not voted for a Republican in 36 years. Democrats on the left seem less concerned with the voter ID laws in places in which they already control. So this is about controlling. And let's break down uh, a couple of things about this Georgia voter ID law. Early Sunday voting is now mandated into law. And it expands weekend voting before general elections. Uh, The law mandates voting hours on two Saturdays of the month statewide. It mandates that ballot drop boxes be located inside early voting locations for security. And about these drop boxes, these drop boxes that are now a permanent part of our electoral landscape. Prior to the 2020 election, drop boxes weren't even used very much. They weren't used at all in Georgia. They were brought in as a part of the emergency COVID action. Now, this new law basically enshrines the, these these drop boxes into the electoral process forever. And the left is mad that they want some control as to where those ballot drop boxes are. Of course, they should be located inside secure locations. But I'm going to drop some more knowledge on you guys. And I'm going to tell you something. This assault against voter ID and this assault against election integrity laws, this stuff is not about black Americans. This is not about black Americans at all. Um, The number of black registered voters in Georgia increased by about 130,000 between 2016 and 2020. There was record-breaking turnout. Democrats do not have a problem turning out black voters. So this voter ID stuff is not stopping them. There was a very interesting study that came out of the University of of, uh, California in San Diego. They found that Latino voters are less likely to vote to the tune of about 10 percentage points when voter IDs are strict, when voter ID laws are enforced. 
And so this isn't necessarily about black voters that Democrats do not have any problem turning out. This is about getting these Latino voters in there. And if they can weaken voter ID laws, if they can call voter ID laws racist and all this other stuff, while simultaneously, by the way, weakening our southern border and letting literally hundreds of thousands of people are crossing this border every single day, then in 20 years, the conversation is about, well, we have all of these tens of millions of people here. They should be able to vote. Them not being able to vote is racist. And that is what this is all about. You have to understand that these people play the long game. And that is just what this is. And, and once again, they're using the, the legacy of racism. They're using all of this stuff that, that black Americans in this country has, has faced to emotionally manipulate them and use them as pawns because they are not interested in increasing their black vote. They are interested in increasing their Latino vote. The only way they can do that is if they get as many people in the vote as possible with, with no ID. And with these lies, with this Jim Crow language, with the, the race language, all of this stuff, this is pretty much setting the stage for the woke left takeover of these corporations, and I want to get into that right after the break. And so when the left uses and teams up to use their considerable resources, their considerable resources to push election integrity measures and voter ID laws as racist, and they use these corporations and all of this stuff to amplify um, their their messages, when they, when they use these corporations to, to amplify these messages, um, they start engaging in, in a sort of economic blackmail when it comes to these states. And, and this is the next game that they're pushing right now. And when it comes to Stacey Abrams and when it comes to this voter ID law and when it comes to the 2018 election, I want you to listen to what Governor Kemp has to say about the facts of, of, of that election and about Stacey Abrams and how she has this entire conversation. Go ahead and play that at number 10. Well, you know, what's interesting is she never brings up the facts about the election or the past election or, or this past 2020 election. I mean, the fact of the matter is in the 2018 election, Georgia had the largest African-American turnout in the country when you look at those races. So for her to be saying things like that, there's absolutely no basis behind that. In Georgia, we've had accessible, secure fair elections for many, many years. We've seen a minority participation turnout, even with the photo, photo ID requirement that some people say is you know, racist and suppressive. It is not. Everyone's got a photo ID. If you don't have one, we'll give you one for free. And even in this bill that we just passed, the legislature's making those available. But last year in the whole state of Georgia, I think there was only 56 of those IDs that were even given out. So these numbers that they throw out just don't add up. And people need to know that this group is lying to you and they are profiting from that and from this campaign. And it's only hurting hardworking Georgia business owners and those folks that work with them. And we're going to stand up and fight. And everybody else across the country needs to, too, because they're going to come for your game next. You know, they're going to come from your business, your way of life. That is the fight we're in. He is absolutely right. This is the new tactic. If the left and, you know, the people, you know, like these commentators and these celebrities and, and these athletes and all of these people, if they can hijack this conversation right now 
and they can convince people that requiring any kind of voter ID is racist, then that's it. And they will use this stuff to engage in economic blackmail against these states. And Kent brought up the fact that Georgia does have a a voter a free voter ID that lasts up to eight years. You can get this for free, used specifically for the purpose of voting. Um, you just need your voter registration card. So ask yourself, with these considerable resources that the left has, you know, they have everybody in media, they have everybody in entertainment, they have all of these corporations, all of that stuff. Why not engage in a campaign to make sure that every single person that is a registered voter get an ID? Because like I said, this is not about making sure registered voters get IDs. This is not about turning out registered voters. This is about greasing the wheels to make it easier for people who are illegal immigrants to vote. Because we are getting to the point right now, I thought it was going to happen in 2020. It didn't happen in 2020. Maybe it'll happen in 2024. This stranglehold that the Democrats have on African-American voters is loosening. This is something that is loosening. It is a very real thing. And I believe that the only reason they were able to pull it off in 2020 is because of COVID and because of mail-in voting. If COVID never happened and mail-in voting did not happen, they would not have been able to pull this off. I truly believe this. And they know that they are losing black minds. They are losing black voters. So they have to replace these voters with Latinos. And not just legal Latinos. They want illegal immigrants as well. This is what they want. This is the long game. These people play the long game. They, they, they plan these things decades in advance. They know what they're doing. And he is absolutely right. So this economic blackmail, this is a tactic that is being used by the left. And it will spread to other states that they do not control. Georgia is just the start. They will start coming for, you saw Chuck Schumer talk about Montana. They will do this to every single state. And let me tell you this. So there was a uh, a, a movie that uh, Will Smith had a deal for with uh, with Apple Apple uh, called Emancipation. It was a slave movie. It was playing a runaway slave because, you know, black people always have to be reminded of slavery and Jim Crow in America all the time, even through our, our, our entertainment, or else we may... Uh, may remember that we're not victims and that we live in the greatest country in the world and that we have more black millionaires in America than there are in anywhere else in the world. But, you know, you don't want people to know that. You want them to always see slavery, Jim Crow, pain, whatever. So this movie, they had a $120 million deal for this movie. It was to shoot in Georgia. It is not shooting Georgia anymore. They pulled it out of Georgia. The MLB, you've heard about that. The All-Star game that got pulled from Georgia because of this quote-unquote racist voter ID law that will cost the state $100 million. And this is economic blackmail. I am telling you guys, if the left can define any sort of voter ID laws and election integrity measures as racist, and they can get their stooges in these corporations to follow suit, they will grease the wheels for the long-term plan, which is to turn the tens of millions of illegal immigrants that are here in America right now, not to mention the, the ones that will be here in five to ten years, into new voters. This is the left's tactic right now. And <laughs> I have a... um. A new person in my life that has just got red pilled. I won't tell you who she is, but um, this person manages a, uh, a a store and was doing very well during COVID and all this other stuff. But now there is so much free money coming from the government that people do not want to work. They are not coming into work. She is having to pick up the slack, and she said, "I will never vote for this again." She voted for Biden Harris. She said, "I will never vote for this again." 
Because now what the left wants to do, if they can influence corporations to take a public stand against this and say that any sort of voter ID and election integrity is racist, then they're greasing the wheels towards having all of these illegal immigrants come in and vote for them, while at the same time, they're getting people used to free money. They're getting people used to free money. They're getting people used to this slide into socialism. And that is, guys, exactly what is going on here. Like I told you before, this is not about black people. This is not about black voters. The Democrats... Have that they are done with black voters. They've got upwards of 90%. They, in their minds, they're not losing them, right? This is about getting more Latino voters. And if these weak corporations do not start standing up to the far left woke mobs on Twitter and start standing up and saying that we cannot always take the side of the far left because these people don't have that much power. They just have a more of a bully pulpit. If these corporations do not start standing up to the woke left, then they will be lost to this. And if Georgia doesn't stand up and fight for election integrity right now, then that is it. They will weaken these laws so much to where they will be permanently in power because that is what the left wants. The only thing that the left cares, they do not care about these black voters. They do not care about the working class. If they cared about the working class, they wouldn't have canceled the Keystone Pipeline, which put tens of thousands of people out of jobs. Like These people don't care about the working class. They care about power. And this idea that voter ID and voter integrity and all of that stuff is racist, this is just a slippery slope. This is just another cog in the wheel that is they're just complete thirst for power so when you hear this stuff know exactly what it is and to these woke corporations you get a spine now you stand up now you fight back now or if not these people will own you in perpetuity all right as we turn the corner into the uh the last bit of today's show covid is also turning the corner in our society this pandemic is almost over, scamdemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. No, it it was real. I have to, COVID is very real. Um, there are over 500,000 people that lost their lives to COVID. Um, and and we, we pray for their families, and, and it is definitely a real thing. But there is a, a lot of mixed messaging that is going on in, in terms of vaccination. But before we get into all that, um, I, I want to play you um, – President Biden talking about the amount of people that have been vaccinated. You can play uh, number 14. When tomorrow's vaccine and vaccination numbers come out, we'll show that today we did it. Today we hit 200 million shots and the 92nd day in office. 200 million shots in 100 days, in under 100 days, actually. Oh, my God. It's just, you know, first of all, before we even get into COVID, does anybody ever realize how little we actually see Biden uh, speak? Um, He he never really takes any press conferences. I'll get into that next segment. But it's just like even listening to him, like, it just feel like I want to take a nap. He just makes me tired. It's like they just this guy is sleeping through this presidency. It's like they they 
poke him up from his nap and then they just you know roll him out there to to say something that he has read off the teleprompter and it's like this is literally he gives these seven minute speeches and it's like he's about to fall asleep halfway through them but anyway i mean this is this is a good thing you know we got you know 200 million dollars 200 million shots on the 92nd day in office 200 million shots in under 100 days that is great so thank you president trump Thank you, President Trump, for this, because if it weren't for Operation Warp Speed, this never would have been happening. And let's just take a journey back to what was said about Operation Warp Speed by the mainstream media. They said, oh, this is never going to work. This is too rushed. This is whatever. And these people, the same people, the the same blue check marks, the same, you know, liberals at these, um, you know, news station and all that stuff, the same people who are celebrating this from Joe Biden right now were saying that Trump could never make it happen. And it's so interesting that they are so eager to take credit for this stuff now. Because they were deliberately sowing distrust for it while Trump was in office. I remember Kamala Harris did some interview where she was basically like, well, I don't know if we can trust it if it comes from Trump. And this is what these people were saying. And so now that the vaccines are out and they're coming out under Biden, you know, now it's it's this big su- success. Thanks to what President Trump had did, right, has done. And as far as the vaccine, I'm going to give you how I personally think about the vaccine. As for me, I have personally made the decision not to take the vaccine. I had COVID. Um, Last November, I had COVID. I am a pretty healthy guy. I had uh, I felt like crap for a couple of days and then I felt a little bit like crap one day and then it was over. So I'm naturally immune to COVID. So in my estimation for myself, if I'm a young, healthy guy. Why would I need to take a vaccine for a virus that has a 99.9% recovery rate? And number one, for something that I've already recovered from. And what I hate about this, what I hate about everything. Um, and by the way, I have to mention that I have a mother and sister that have, excuse me, a mother and grandmother um, that have, have comorbidities. My mother has a comorbidity um, and my grandmother is in her 80s. And they could not wait to take the vaccine. And I was, I could not wait for them to take the vaccine. I'm all about it for them because if my mother gets hospitalized, she's in a lot of trouble with with lung problems. Um, And if my grandmother gets hospitalized, she's in a lot of trouble. So my advice is if you're somebody that has comorbidities and if you're going to be in trouble, if you get COVID, like you need to to take this vaccine. But then there's other information um, that we're just now figuring out, which was I believe it was upwards of 80 percent of people that were even hospitalized for COVID were obese. So, of course, we're never, you know, we're never stating that. And the funniest thing for me and, the, you know, you know, the left is going to be fat shaming, whatever. The funniest thing to me is when I see heavier, heavy set people walking around the street, nobody around them, but they have masks on. And so when I look at these people, I'm just like, you obviously are not taking a, a whole hell of a lot of care of your body um, in, in other ways. So COVID is probably the least of your worries. So that's just, that's just always funny to me. But what I hate about everything that's happening with COVID right now is this this mixed messaging about what vaccination is supposed to mean. Because, you know, pardon me if I'm wrong, if, if I'm crazy, um, I know we're living in clown world, but I thought that when people started taking the vaccinations, I thought that when these vaccinations started becoming widely available and widely distributed and people were able to take them, that means that I could do things like uh, walk around outside without a mask. I thought that meant that I could do things like go to a restaurant without a mask. I thought that I could do 
normal things that I could go back to normal. I thought that that was what this entire thing was about. And so there's so much mixed messaging that is coming uh, about what vaccination is supposed to mean. So I'll give you a case and example. Both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are vaccinated, and yet they continue to allow themselves to be photographed with their masks on. It is ridiculous. It makes zero sense. So if the American public knows that these people are vaccinated and they thought that vaccination was supposed to prove that, you know, you don't have to wear these masks anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. Um, why are they being photographed w- while wearing masks? It doesn't make sense. And, and with Dr. Fauci, oh, my God, I'm so sick of Dr. Fauci. I do not know what to do because he has been wrong so many steps of the way. In a debate that I want to see, a debate that I would like to watch, I would like to watch uh, March 2021 Dr. Fauci debate March 2020 Dr. Fauci. If there is anybody that is more overexposed in this whole COVID-19 pandemic, if there's anybody that America needs to stop listening to, if there is anybody that we need to just poke the air out of this balloon and put all that hot air somebody else, it is Dr. Fauci. I am so tired of him. And Senator Rand Paul is as well. Uh, play 22. This is what uh, what Senator Rand Paul has to say uh, about Dr. Fauci and Biden and, the, and this whole mixed messaging vaccination mess. The science is about proving that things are happening. If Dr. Fauci can prove that people who are vaccinated are spreading the disease, I will listen to him. If he can prove that people like me who have already had it are spreading the disease, I'll listen to him. But there is no evidence of that. If you want more people to get vaccinated, Joe Biden should go on national TV, take his mask off and burn it, light a torch to it and burn his mask and say, I've had the vaccine. I am now safe from this plague. If you'll get the vaccine, you can be safe, too. But instead, they say, well, the vaccine might not work in some sort of planetary world we're not aware of. The vaccine might not work. Well, there's no evidence of it. The burden of proof should be on the government to prove that we are spreading it. And then we'll listen to them. But instead, it sounds sort of like fear mongering. Yeah. I mean, you hear these numbers that something like 6,000 people out of 63 million, um, something like that, uh, got COVID after they were vaccinated. Um, So what do you say about that? But if you look at that number, you're right. A very, very small people got infected. Do you know how many people were hospitalized? And do you know how many people died after the vaccine? The vaccine's an amazing thing. So is natural infection if you get it the hard way. You don't want to wish that on people. But people have survived it. We shouldn't discount it. But the vaccination has virtually zero hospitalizations and virtually zero deaths. In fact, I'm not aware of any. Reinfection from people who have had it is very low number. Most people get a mild course of it, and there's a rare, rare, if ever, reinfection that caused a fatality. So really, we should appreciate immunity, both naturally acquired and by vaccine. But you know why people don't trust the government? Because the government's saying, oh, no, everyone's the same. Whether you've had the disease or not, you have to be vaccinated. If you're 10 years old, you need, you know, it's this one-size-fits-all that people know that this isn't as dangerous for young people, but it's very dangerous after a certain age and for overweight people. And of course, he is absolutely right. Of course, he is the voice of reason. And look, with this mixed messaging on vaccination and all that stuff, the again, 
the, that that loony right wing conspiracy theorist that lives in me really wonders why they are continuing to put these images out just of, of Biden and Harris and masks. Why um, is Fauci continuing to put out this mixed messaging? Why there are people there is some some idiot reporter that uh, that I that came up on Instagram and in this person, she had gotten vaccinated and she was like, well, I'm still wearing my mask and I'm still wearing all this. And I'm just like, well, if you have gotten vaccinated, what is the point of still wearing masks? So the point is they have figured out a way to control you. They will use this fear to control you. Look, get the vaccine, do not get the vaccine. But if you have already had COVID or if you have gotten the vaccine, there is no reason for you to be walking around without a mask on. And I am very skeptical of the reasons that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris continue to do it. Next up, they're already talking about Joe Biden running for president again in 2024. Jesus. Uh, we'll get into that after the break. Joe Biden is struggling his way through the first 90 days of his term, but they're already talking about uh, they're already talking about Biden 2024. Listen to uh, to Jen Psaki uh, talk about Biden 2020, uh, 2024, uh, clip 16. And I understand what you're asking me is what happens in 2024, right? Or is that what you're asking me? Well, that's a long time away, but the president has every intention of getting reelected and certainly uh, ensuring uh, that he is uh, implementing policies where uh, climate, addressing our climate crisis, putting Americans back to work, go hand in hand, which is absolutely his desire and his commitment will be a part of his continuing agenda. Putting Americans back to work. Well, you know, tell that to the uh, tens of thousands of people that got laid off when he canceled the Keystone Pipeline as one of the first things he did he did in his presidency. So, yeah, he's he's getting people back to work. <laughs> but look, this man, he has barely gotten through the first three months of this presidency. And the fact that he's been able to, to get this far and he's barely making it and he is being completely propped up by all of the usual suspects. He is being propped up by mainstream media. He is being propped up by Hollywood. He has been propped up by these reporters, everyone in the idea that he's going to even have the stamina to run a real presidential race in 2024 is to me laughable. This is a man that has, look, we just have to keep it. We just have to keep it very honest when it comes to Joe Biden. His best days are behind him. He looks frail. He looks old. He looks like he always either just woke up from a nap or can't wait to get back to one. This is not a leader. He looks weak. There is no mistake right now that our, our enemies are circling. It's almost like we're like, you know, they're vultures circling, you know, the, this weak leadership because the man is weak and there's nothing there's you can't really say anything more about it than he was weak. And let me tell you something. You can say a lot about President Trump. I, I had the opportunity to meet President Trump multiple times. Uh, this is a very physically imposing man. He's very physically tall. And physically strong, and this is some per this is somebody that got up every single day, battled mainstream media, was in the press conferences, was flying from here to there. This is somebody that had a lot of stamina, and to go from the amount of stamina that he had 
in that strong leadership to Joe Biden, who is being hidden half the time and being propped up by the mainstream media that are making themselves look even more ridiculous than they did before. And to think that this person has every intention of winning again in 2024, it is ridiculous. So he has done one press conference. He has done one press conference in his entire presidency so far. And in these these are the kinds of questions uh, that he gets when when he does a press conference. Um, I want you to play uh, clip nineteen for me. This is uh, from uh, for a reporter from PBS. Uh, this is this is the the hard hitting questions Biden gets. You've said over and over again that immigrants shouldn't come to this country right now. This isn't the time to come. That message is not being received. Instead, the perception of you that got you elected as a moral, decent man is the reason why a lot of immigrants are coming to this country and entrusting you with unaccompanied minors. How do you resolve that tension? And how are you choosing which families can stay and which can can go, given the fact that even though with Title 42, there are some families that are staying? And is there a timeline for when we won't be seeing these overcrowded facilities with run by CPB when it comes to unaccompanied minors? So these are the kinds of questions that Joe Biden gets from the mainstream media. Oh, he's so moral. He's so just. This is the perception of you. And so he's done one press conference. These are the kinds of questions that he gets. He's not having to work very hard. And by the way, remember that um, the uh, the there was a book on his podium where there were reporters circled with their faces. There were photos of him and their faces were, were circled. So he knew exactly who to call on. He knew exactly what was going on. So he is being propped up in this way. And he is being propped up by everyone. And he still still seems weak, frail, etc. So this is basically what everybody's thinking. This is what I, I think. This is what I speculate. This is what I do because I'm a political commentator. I speculate. I think that at some point he is going to step down and they are going to install Kamala Harris as president before 2024 because they, there is no way that they are going to lose that opportunity because Kamala Harris could never make it out of a general election. They know it. She knows it. We all know it. So that is what is going to happen. That is what I think. That is my crystal ball prediction for how the Biden presidency ends. And on that note, this show has to end for today. I have enjoyed uh, guest hosting for Buck Sexton so much. Again, my name is Rob Smith. I am an Iraq War veteran, senior contributor to Turning Point USA. You can find my podcast, Rob Smith is Problematic. Everywhere podcasts are found, and you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. And I will be right back here tomorrow for you guys.